What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. The right support can change the trajectory of your life. Southern Live Oak Wellness makes taking that first step possible. If you have concerns with your mental health, contact our 24-hour support team at slowhelp.com. That's slowhelp, S-L-O-W-H-E-L-P.com. Make mental health a priority. And welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week we are talking about a movie that Scott picked. And it's insane to think that it took this long for us to discuss this movie. Because back in year one, Scott told us about how he would harass his loving wife with, You like Kurt Vonnegut? (laughs) I like how the concept of that has permutated in your brain to me sounding... Nothing like the character. No, in this so film. much, so much so that when watching this movie and he said, "I'm like, oh, that's how he says it." Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's do you like Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why mine was just always in my head. I was like, do you like Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah, Matt's Matt's impression is the uh, the assistant coach and the water boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but how about you tell us a little bit about why you picked this movie? Well, this movie has always felt like a spring movie for me, and uh, this is dropping 
you know, in the springtime. And so I, I was like, no time like the present, my dudes. And also, as we've discussed in the within the last month, I'd say, we have made some mistakes going too obscure with our picks. And I think that this is a nice sweet spot where we got enough nostalgia. It's It's got a lot of people that are moderately famous now, uh, some that are still working even. And it's also better than I remembered it. Which is I, crazy. I yeah. really agree with that last statement. <coughs> Sorry, <clears throat> I need my fluids. <laughs> Suck on this fluid, boy. I say I need my fluids to Megan constantly, and she doesn't pick up what I'm saying, which is probably for the best. I say it all the time, and she doesn't pick up what I'm saying, so this is why we're getting divorced. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we sleep in separate beds. I do have, I do have to say something that I know is definitely a part of the reason why Matt loves this movie, and I think Scott does. But this movie, a lot of the time, felt like something I would make in video journalism in high school. And it had nothing to do with the quality, because mine were not that good, or the storyline. It was just like, how many of my favorite songs can I insert into oh, this one dude, film? <laughs> I forgot that the first song we hear in this movie is the fucking yeah, flies. The flies. Got you where I want you. I have and a- like a musical, they close with it yeah. too. You know, the nice <laughs> reprise of Got You Where I Want yeah, You. So I have a quick story about the flies. That song came out in, like, what, 1999? I believe that was 99, yeah. I remember in, like, 2001, walking into the the FYE or the wall, whatever the, like, record label, uh, record store was in our mall. And, you know, they would take used CDs and they would price them accordingly and put them back on the shelf. I was just looking at the used CDs and I found... I shit you not, like, 20 copies of the Flies album in there, and all of them were priced at 99 cents, and I was like, God, even I don't want to spend the dollar on this right now. Like, I like that song, but if it's only going for 99 cents the year after it came out, this must be a real piece of shit. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that I bought that record used as well, and I remember nothing from it. But I mean, that, that, that song is really good, though. That it's song a, is so good. Like, and in my high school pop punk band, that was one of my favorite songs to to cover because it's so easy. It was like the only song that I got right every time. I don't know if Matt covered it, but if he did, he forced his way to do the rap in the middle. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. No, I, I made I made the other guy do the rap part. I I did not cover "Got You Where I Want You." But listening to it now while you bring up the rap part, the bass line in that part is actually really awesome. (laughs) Before we even get to the flies, one of the first things that I noticed is like, I'm aware that this is a high budget movie. Like this is, but like the opening credits seem like a much cheaper film. You know what I mean? Like it's just like a black screen with like occasional lights and the names popping up. And like, I think about something like Idle Hands that was like a much more low budget movie or even, you know, freaked a much lower budget movie where it is like this in your face, like claymation or like all this crazy stuff. And like for something so simplistic to start off this movie, it almost feels like an indie film with those opening credits. But that was intentional. I know for a fact that that was intentional because what it's doing is it's foreshadowing the reprogramming, like the brainwashing that the kids see. I mean, oh, yeah, I, for sure. I mean, sure. I get it. Like, I, it doesn't bother me. Like, it feels very much like the Idle Hands credits see as well. And I, I definitely, I wonder if it's the same guy, you know? It could be. But then we get into the, like, we introduce the, the first and kind of, for the most of the movie, the only kill. And then we meet our main character. And there's this cafeteria scene that, like, I wrote down, like, Mean Girls kind of stole this scene. Uh, I don't know if Mean Girls stole the scene. I feel like this was already 
kind of a pastiche of something else. Because like Possibly, it, I, I know for a it. fact I, that when I saw this movie for the first time, it was a very familiar concept of going around and like pointing out the clicks. I love the way that that scene is put together. Oh, and Nick Stahl, honestly, that is why watching this movie as an adult, I'm like, damn, there's a this is a lot better movie than I remember it being because Nick Stahl is given 110. percent Oh, Nick so Stahl is crushing it in this. And we'll get into, like, this movie went through some heavy, heavy edits. So much to the point that the director wanted his name taken off of it for, for a brief time. And we'll get into it. A lot of it is tied to the last act of this movie. Which would explain a lot. I was going to say, watching this movie, it feels like the second and third acts are very rushed compared to the first Yeah, exactly. Like, the first act is, like, a lot of story building. And then it's just, like, like from the point that Gavin gets taken... The movie just like flips into overdrive and it's just like, okay, well now this is happening and now this is happening and now this is happening. (laughs) And it it is very like, and that's what they cut. Like you said, they cut all of these character scenes of like them dealing with Gavin being brainwashed and then dealing like, like he's like, it just suddenly they were like, well, the team, it, it was all because of test audiences. He said they'd show it to test audiences and the demographic liked it. But the kids who weren't in the demographic were like, I don't know how I feel about this. And then they were like, well, we're panicking, so we're got to cut more stuff. And apparently it ended on a downer note. The original ending of the movie was that they get to the ferry and Gavin is there and he's still brainwashed and he's holding them hostage. Like he's got a gun aimed at them and UV comes out and kills his best friend. And like Gavin thanks him for, for freeing him as he dies and then it was just going to end with them on the ferry leaving town. But the studio was like, audiences love Gavin. You got to make sure that you prove that he's still alive. And that's where <sighs> we get the like him as a substitute teacher ending, which is eh. like, I, I don't know. I feel like that ending's supposed to be a lot more terrifying than it actually is. But it's like Gavin doesn't know the science. That's very true. <laughs> like It's yeah. not like he's going to be able to brainwash anybody. He's just brainwashed. I don't know. I don't like the third act of this movie Uh, i think that it's always bothered me i mean when i say i don't like it i mean it pales in comparison as you said the good news is the third act is about 10 minutes long yeah (laughs) and and i think that this movie also is funny weird funny weird not funny haha but funny weird in in a way kind of where we were getting to a point in the late 90s that generic slasher couldn't be topped. Scream had come out. I think that by this point we had Scream 2 even, right? And yeah, we had Scream 2. We probably had Urban Legend around this Urban time. Legend would have been 2000. Okay, so we at least had I Know What You Did Last Summer came out as well. Like there was And this already feels a lot like yeah, I mean, I, and so what I think is that that they were trying to do something different here because they were like, what, what can we do to keep people in to keep, you know, teenagers coming to the theater and interested? And, and so they were like, let's try this different thing. And they did Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which is also based on a book and, you know, blah, blah. and Teaching Mrs. Tingle is such a fucking flop. I'll never, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll never revisit that. But that's the reason why they made the movie is because yeah. Katie Holmes was hot because of Dawson's Creek. And she got this because she was hot because of Dawson's Creek as well. Yo, so. And let's just say it right now. Oh, Goth, yeah. Goth Katie Holmes is the hottest Top version tier. of Katie Holmes. Top tier. <laughs> I am so <laughs> glad that I'm not the only one because basically like that, She. this is the only... It's, I actually have it written down. Katie Holmes' finest looks yeah, is in it's, this. Uh, she's so attractive in this movie. And like, hey, I never got why people thought that she was hot because of Dawson's Creek. And then I watched this movie and I was like, okay, this does it for me. You know? Yeah. No, it's, it's not to be like, 
obviously we don't want to be super objectifying here, but like she's a beautiful person. But yeah. there is something about that goth look that like unlocks a whole nother side that you've never seen of her where you're like, oh. Okay. Yeah, I like Daniel Harris and Urban Legends. We yeah. just talked about, you know, like Brian knows. Brian tapped mm-hmm. on the shoulder and embarrassed himself. <laughs> so, yeah. so I get what you're saying, Scott, and and maybe this note will make sense to you. But like Scream is a take on a slasher genre, right? Which as much as I do love me some 90s slashers, the slasher genre is very much an 80s genre at at its core. But never does Scream feel like it's an 80s movie. Like it always feels mm-hmm. like a 90s movie. Disturbing behavior feels like an 80s movie starring a 90s cast to me. Can you elaborate on that? Because I'm not feeling that myself. I just feel like there's something about the whole concept, the whole plot, like everything about this movie. I felt like if you if you removed the 90s cast and just showed me this movie and said, tell me what year you think this came out, I would have probably guessed like 88, 89. Like it just feels tonally like a very 80s movie. I mean, I guess the key thing to say with that is like that note came in right after the mental hospital scene during like the showdown of all of the brainwashed blues blocking the road like that just to me like that type of imagery is a very 80s type of imagery. Like I don't think of like a lot of 90s films having this crazy mental hospital with bad security type sequence unless of course we're talking about the masterpiece that is dr giggles but (laughs) like that scene feels ripped straight out of like the local haunted attraction down the street from my house well that's also probably why it's you know the the director was so upset with it you know it's just it's pushing towards something that i don't really think it needed to do it's Um, all very it's a very convenient scene you know what I mean? Yes, like it's like to get rid of everybody and the, yeah. the creator, except for Kevin, yeah, the, you know. Yeah, they they show up. Well, even just like the mental hospital scene, like they show up, they just they just waltz into the mental hospital, no security issues, just walk in, immediately find the mad scientist's daughter, and then run out to the sounds of Harvey Danger. And it's like that is a lot of convenient sleuthing in a very short <laughs> period of time. Yeah. Well, we got to we got to quote the doctor's daughter uh, because Megan and I, she hates the Kurt Vonnegut, but she thinks it's hilarious when we go meet the musical little creatures that hide amongst the flowers. Like she loves that. She because she remembers. I mean, she she didn't watch this one with me, but she saw this movie in the 90s as well. um, And she thought that it was the most ludicrous thing in a horror movie that she probably had seen by that point. And we still laugh about it. I mean, that that part that scene sucks ass. Yeah. But, but you know what scene is also very quotable, but I think is successful in how uncomfortable it is, is the scene with Lorena, where she just starts smashing her head into the mirror. Bad. Wrong. wrong. Bad. Like, they had to just show boobs somehow. And yeah. it's, it's It felt really exploitative to have her just open her shirt up. And I, I, was, was I, I cringe of, every time. I was like really taken aback by that scene because I'm like, this doesn't feel like it needs to be here. Like you could do this scene without her her titty hanging out. Basically, like yeah, it's it's not <laughs> necessary. But they were like, well, not gonna get any teenage boys to come to see yeah. this a second time if gotta, you're not gonna get earn that R rating somehow. I guess. But that's literally the only way they did. <laughs> Although Chug groping Katie Holmes also made me really uncomfortable. Yeah, but like at it least made me uncomfortable in the nineties. But like, yeah. Yeah, her her exposing herself was absolutely supposed to be titillating, 
Oh, in, much better. <laughs> much better. In, in 1998. You know what I mean? Like, it was supposed to be like, ooh. But, like, the chug scene was absolutely supposed to make you, like, unnerved. But now both of them just are like, uh, I don't really like what I'm seeing here. Yeah, I, I, need a, I need an adult. But I do think that there is another great Gavin quote that I just, I, I wrote it down. I rewound twice to get it right. But it's when they're trying to get beer. And it's the funniest fucking thing because, I, I, as I've said a billion times on this show, I need to have like a metalcore project where it's just breakdowns that come after my favorite lines in horror movies. And this one would have to be in the middle of the in the middle of the uh, release. You'd have some sort of like, sa- like static or whatever, and then you hear Gavin go, "You know the problem with America is mankind's abject unwillingness to contribute." to the delinquency of minors. I'm telling you, if you put together just like a 15 minute long track that is just movie clip <laughs> breakdown, movie clip, different breakdown, I think that that would go, that I would listen to it anyway, but I think people would fucking love how absurd it is. I don't know. <laughs> this is from coming from the guy that sent us that dicks uh, thing from Bandcamp. What was that called? Well, that was because Chris Chris Vavio yeah. said that to me, and I was like, "This is amazing." Yeah, it's it was not just- though. You you are you are the wrong person to be telling me that it's like good idea <laughs> to make things musically because you have terrible tastes sometimes. What, what the hell was the one that was like killing me on there? It, oh, it was Baker Street, <laughs> the cover of Baker Street. That was just him going, "Dick, dick, dick, All I got past was the first half of your dick. My dick is on your list. Um, so dumb. It's so dumb. So it's fucking so dumb. terrible. So we've danced around it quite a bit, but let's address the fact that William Sadler is making some acting choices in this movie and really is like the thing that you remember. Like, I feel like this is one of those movies that I watch it, I enjoy it, and then like over time, like most of it kind of just evaporates until the next time I watch it. But William Sadler's acting choices sit for eternity in my brain. <laughs> Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that, like, um, I didn't really have any relation to anything he did. I didn't even think about him as being deaf from Bill and Ted when I watched this in high school um, or, you know, when I watched it in college or when I watched it after college. Like, I don't really see him as deaf. Like, I, I see deaf as the janitor and just different behavior. But I've watched him in some other stuff. I mean, and he's been in so much stuff, and he's, like, a really, really, really talented actor. Um but it's just so funny because it always comes back to this character. And it's it, it's so much because of his articulation. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it is a very – he is a much better actor than I think he gets credited for a lot of the time. Do we have any other crazy notes that we want to talk about or do we want oh, to talk about – Oh, I mean, about- the fact that we have Flagpole Sitta right before mm. the beginning of the third act. That song was like the ultimate – song for a movie like this just because of the paranoia paranoia part yeah so many yeah. movies just cut to that bridge <laughs> <laughs> they even cut it back and forth so that it like they missed a couple lines just so yeah. that, i wonder i wonder how mad you'd have to be like well how mad harvey danger was with their fat fucking checks in the late 90s for that song when somebody was like i'm gonna take your song and i'm just gonna take this little bit gone oh man yeah. It, it's perfect for a movie. It basically like completely destroys the uh, agency of a songwriter, and it says your product is just a commodity. And I, I mean, they got paid a fuck ton, I'm sure. But like, it's just funny to me as a musician myself to be like, 
I wonder how that made them feel. Well, oh, they're the other, crying into their fucking wads of money, you know? Well, yeah. they're, so the thing that I learned about that song through researching it for One Hit Thunder was, like, that song is very similar to Blur Song 2, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you know the history, mm-hmm. like, if you know the history of that song, it was written as, like, making fun of grunge music. Because it doesn't sound like anything else that Blur does musically. Uh, and then it was, like, the biggest thing that Blur ever did. So, Harvey Danger, like, all the other Harvey Danger songs definitely fit in with flagpole sitta but if you listen to that lyric like the lyrics of the song so the thing you have to know is that harvey danger was a band made up of all music journalists in seattle like all four of them are music journalists and it was them writing a song making fun of how grunge became like it went from like being this very honest sincere musical statement to like just another piece of capitalistic like hey, just throw on some fucking flannel and say that you're a grunge band and everyone will buy your record type attitude. And like you listen to it, it's like, oh, this makes so much more sense why it has these lyrics where it's like, you know, I want to pierce my tongue. It doesn't hurt. It feels fine. Like, it's just like this whole attitude of being jaded about people being jaded. (laughs) Like, it's what the song's about. And it's like, it made me actually appreciate the song lyrically even more being like, oh, that's really fucking funny. Good song. Decent band, deserved more credit than they got. Disturbing Behavior is the Harvey Danger of 90s horror films. Deserves more credit than it gets. I love it. I am here for that. (laughs) What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. (laughs) So, Scott, what would your double feature be with Disturbing Behavior? Now, I'm not picking the one that most people would pick. We can talk about it if the two of you guys don't pick it, but you're more than welcome to have it. I'm going to go with The Rage, Carrie 2, which is also a movie from, uh, was that 2000 when that came out? I think it was either 98 or 99. I think they tried to tie it in with, like, the 20-year carry release or oh yeah like that. okay yeah so that would have been 78 to 28 or to 98 but in any case i picked that because you know visually like the, the that late 90s like hyper saturation style like the the lighting 
the pacing, especially the pacing of the third act in both of those films, they feel very, you know, similar. But more than that, they're both movies that I did not appreciate as much when I saw them in high school as I do now. Yeah. It's very interesting in that way. Yeah, no, I mean, that's always the benefit of doing this show sometimes is like revisiting a movie that you were like lukewarm on. Like that was me a couple weeks ago with My Bloody Valentine. Like that was always like a film I was lukewarm about until I watched it and was like, oh man, this I, I will be revisiting this more. Brian, how about you go next? Because I know that no one has my double feature. All right, then I'm good. I'm just going to take what Scott left on the table because there really is a correct answer to this week's. <laughs> and that correct answer is The Faculty. Yep. Uh, it's just a perfect double feature. Oh, well, they I, both have that same cover of Brick in the Wall, right? Well, no. One is one I think is the original, and the other one is the cover. Oh, Class um, of yeah. 99 and the yeah, faculty dude, did that. I, I've said a million times, I want Class of 99. I wish Class of 99 put out more albums. I loved that little super group of, like, the dudes from Rage Against the Machines, Porno for Pyros, and Alice in Chains just making cover songs together. So mine is a deep cut. And... It's a deep cut because for years I actually thought Disturbing Behavior was a remake of this 80s Canadian film. I later found out that, oh, no, this is actually more Stepford Wives than anything. But it's the movie Strange Behavior from 1983, Hmm. uh, which I might revisit and see if it's worth doing uh, a podcast episode on it. But it is about a school psychiatrist that is brainwashing kids to be murder uh, serial killers. And it's basically disturbing behavior with a higher body count and from the 80s. But I haven't seen it in many, 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 many years. That's mine. Uh, Scott, what is something that you have watched or read or listened to or produced or whatever that you want to tell people to check out? I want to tell people to maybe check out Possessor. Um, It's Cronenberg's son's movie. The same person that shared St. Maud with me shared Possessor. I don't know. It was an interesting watch, but it felt... I mean, it felt Cronenberg to me, but it just, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's kind of that Joe Hill thing where you're like, are they doing it because that's the life that they've been around their entire childhood? You know, like, they grew up around these aesthetics, or is it because they know that it's going to work? Yeah. You know, financially, and that's a, so. And that's a tough, like, that's always going to be that tough barrier to walk because it's like, yeah, it could be you ripping off your dad's stuff or, like, Oh no! I think if my dad was David Cronenberg, I'd be pretty fucking weird. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like the yeah. same thing I with mean, like watching boxing Helena, which is not a good movie, but like you watch it and you're like, oh, this is David Lynch's daughter. Feels like a movie made by someone who's inspired by David Lynch. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but um, I did want to mention one movie that I really w- do suggest people watch. I f- completely forgot because I didn't write it down. I just watched it two nights ago. Impedagore. It's a, a, a Indonesian horror movie on Shutter. You guys know about it? Hmm. No. no. Tell us more. Well, I don't want to tell you too much because it's so it's it's all um, subtitled, but the, it's really cool. It's a woman who she's I guess twenty five or something like that, and she is attacked by a machete wielding guy from her home village at the beginning, and he's killed by the police. But he says like, you know, we want your family to take back what they gave us or something like that, and she finds out that she doesn't remember her childhood. She was raised by her aunt or something like that. So she and her friend find the village that she grew up in because they're thinking that they can like sell the family estate and have money. 
and the villagers are all really weird and you know then they're out to get her because of a curse so that's as much as i can tell you it's a really really well-made movie and it is kind of sending me down this rabbit hole of indonesian horror that they they have this nice little vein of it on shutter satan's slaves is another acclaimed one that they have on there that i'm gonna watch probably next uh, and then they also have the original and the modern remake of The Queen of Black Magic. I think I might watch the modern one first. And then, I mean, I know you should probably should watch the original and then the remake. But I think that the remake is going to be more polished because the, the original was from, I believe, 1980. So kind of feeling this Indonesian horror. It's It's got a cool cool vibe you know nice i'm gonna bounce right off of that then because i also was going to talk about a a foreign film that i found on shutter uh this is not a deep cut a lot of people know about this a lot of people have talked about this i'm actually very late to this uh but i finally watched one cut of the dead and it's a is it worth it it's a fun movie it's it's not i'm trying to think how to word this in a way that like it is not a zombie movie like it oh, is, it is, okay. I mean, it is, but it's not, it's, it's more than anything. It is a low budget movie that is a love letter to the art of making a low budget movie. And it's told in like three acts. And that's what I'll say about it. Cause it, it is more fun to go in with like the less amount of information that you know, but just know that, yes, if you are kind of like, I don't like zombie movies, just get through the first 20 minutes of it. And you will enjoy the rest of it. You do need to watch the first 20 minutes where it's heavy zombie stuff to appreciate the later half. Well, you nice. sold me on it because that was the reason I wasn't going to watch this because I can't stand another fucking zombie movie. Brian, what do, what do you have? So I, uh, I've i been watching the Marvel movies. I decided to start watching them in timeline order. Next on my list is, is Avengers, which I, I saw before but was very high, so I don't really remember it. <laughs> How crazy is, the, is it to think that these have been out They've been coming out so long that it was back when you were getting high. Getting high. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. So I can definitely tell that I am a Star Wars fan uh, by watching the Marvel movies. Because first time, from what I remember watching, I really like Doctor Strange. And I'm looking forward to watching it. Right now, out of the four or f- the five that I've rewatched, dude, I fucking love Captain Marvel. That movie was so awesome to me. <laughs> well, that also is the reason why you love WandaVision because I feel like they're very stylistically similar. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, so far that's been my favorite. My least favorite has been Iron Man 2. Really? Iron Man 2 after. is your least favorite? Well, he hasn't gotten Iron Man 3 yet. So. Oh. <laughs> and, and I've watched What's It Called before, so I know. I'm just basing it off of current watch, Sure. right? Sure. So I am preparing for... Thor 2 to take that title. I rewatched it (laughs) about two weeks ago and it is as bad as you remember it, my friend. I know, I know. I'm not looking forward to it. But either, like, it doesn't matter. So I, for some reason, some of the things I watch Marvel, I've seen every Thor in theaters and Dark World (laughs) is worth it because Ragnarok is fucking awesome. Yeah. So I will keep you guys updated. I only have about 17 movies left to watch. (laughs) That are only two to three hours long. So quickly, you should tell listeners about your idea for Patreon bonus material because maybe that'll hook some more people. Okay, so I got this idea from reading an article about someone dissecting episode four of WandaVision and like bringing up like how Sparky was in a Vision comic and shit like that. And I'm like, you know, I, I think that since I'm going through these and Scott is just a Marvel encyclopedia, I would like to compare 
me and Scott's thoughts on the movie and Matt's, me, Scott and Matt's thoughts on the movie. And then Scott and Matt to explain to me the comic book. And is it true to the original comic or is it just like the typical Hollywood, like let's make like the typical Hollywood, like Spider-Man where it's like, yeah, he shoots a web out of his wrist. And uh, you know, the green lantern is actually the hobgoblin's father. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's it. I saw both those movies when I'm high, but that's yeah, what I I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna let you dig your, your, your own grave there. <laughs> is that not how the movies went? It's, well, it's James so Franco. The green, the green Goblin, the Green yeah, Lantern not, is a very different comic book series. And, yeah, and Hobgoblin. Did I say Green Lantern? Yeah, you said yeah, Green you said Lantern. Green, yeah. But, okay. and also Hobgoblin is actually not in any of the Spider-Man movies yet. And he is not typically Norman Osborn's son. Yeah, it's just another Who? version of Green Goblin. <laughs> No, it's not. No, no, no. Hey, so Will, well, James Franco is Green Goblin's son, but he never plays Hobgoblin. No, no, no. I was saying like they both just play a different version of Green Goblin. Like, yeah, yeah. And Hobgoblin in the comic books is a much cooler character. I mean, well, it's more my type. It's actually more our type character. We can get into that when we do. Um, some of this stuff because I'm sure it would come up. But yeah, I know Hobgoblin from. I think I had episode one. I could be wrong. I think I had episode one of the Spider-Man series. And in that episode, it was the Hobgoblin throwing pumpkins at him. Yep, yeah. that's why I love the Hobgoblin, yeah. because he had well, pumpkin bombs. Ooh, you know what? So, I mean, by the time this comes out, I will have been officially moved into my, my house. And maybe to tie into this whole thing, we can even do something where I have all of those old Marvel trading cards in the basement. Oh. So we can also do a thing where I just randomly pick a Marvel trading card and do a deep dive of that character yes. for like Dude, 10 minutes. I have some too. I have a bunch. <laughs> oh, yes. I love that idea. All right. So that's cool because then that gives me less sitting there looking at a movie title being like, what random tangent can we talk about for 15 minutes? <laughs> uh, perfect. All right. Cool. Brian, you've saved the Patreon. But in the meantime, <laughs> the random tangent that we talk about on the Patreon this week is going to be about how the 90s were fantastic. So go and subscribe on our Patreon, patreon.com backslash HMN podcast and get some of that good, tasty, tasty content. We've been getting a big bump in people uh, jumping on the Patreon. So big thank you to all of those people who've been joining in. It means the world to us. Also, real quick, just going to throw this out there. Do you like this podcast? Do you wish you had your own podcast? Go check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. They're really great people, and they can help you out. But in the meantime, we are going to talk about a movie that Brian picked for next week. And it is a fairly recent movie. I mean, it's recent in the sense that it's been around longer than 10 years, as is our unwritten rule. But it is still (laughs) newer than what we normally talk about. So join us for a grindhouse throwback from the 2000s as picked by brian see if you can figure out what it is with those hints thanks and we'll be back next week bye S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan, and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. 
Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Network.